Grace to you and peace from God our Heavenly Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is one with us in the flesh, God and man in one for our salvation. Today our sermon text are the words from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 4, where he writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So far, the sermon text. Let us pray. These are your words, Heavenly Father. We pray that by them you would strengthen us in our faith. Make us certain that you have fulfilled your promises, those wonderful promises made to Abraham and through the prophets that assure us that you love us as your own dear children. And we pray today that you would set us apart from this dying world to live forever for you, And we ask that you do this by the truth, for your word is truth. Amen. Fellow redeeming Christ, uh, I'm sure that many of you have Facebook friends, and uh, I have a lot of Facebook friends that are often a a little bit sarcastic, maybe. And uh, one of them... Uh, wrote to me the other day that uh, he has decided that he's going to start a new business in town. It's a, a fitness business, and he's, he's calling it Good Intentions. And um, you see, his business model is that, that it would be a gym for like the first two weeks of January, and then a, a burger joint for the rest of the year. And he figures that there's a real demand for that. And I kind of wonder why no one's actually done this. New Year's resolutions rarely make it past a couple of weeks. The force of history and habit overwhelm willpower, and the resolution dies. New Year's resolutions are undertaken according to our own human willpower, and the result is often failure because history continues to assert itself in our motivations. And our history is not just full of bad habits, but all manner of sinful selfishness. St. Paul, who wrote our sermon text today, also wrote these words in the book, uh, the letter to the Romans. He said, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. You know it's true. (laughs) When we're honest with ourselves, we can see what he's talking about. I don't mean to be discouraging today. I I mean to be realistic. 
We human beings live under the weight of our history and our habits. And even when we have the best of intentions, we all too often are, are flattened by what has come before us. Our history continues in our motivation. St. Paul also tells us why this is in that same chapter of Romans. Even for him as an apostle, he, he writes, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will deliver me, Paul asks. You wouldn't expect that from one of the 12 apostles. And he's not just talking about New Year's resolutions here either. He, uh, he knows that we, we don't need to be delivered from our failure to keep the new diet or our lapses in regularly scheduled exercise. Paul has in mind something much deeper than that. We need to be delivered from a danger. And he calls it the law of sin, which is in my members. That's the thing that we need to be delivered from, according to St. Paul. And it's part of our history that keeps appearing in our motivations. The law of sin, which is in my members. That's how he describes the sinful human nature. Our sinfulness is, is not just something that may or may not be. It's, it's a law, you know, like the law of gravity. It's a law that happens. It's part of what we are by nature. Sin is at work in us, whether we acknowledge it or not. And in our sermon text today, St. Paul refers to this unbending law as slavery. If you're born a slave, well, that's what you are. You don't get a choice in the matter. And similarly, we're born in sin. It's, it's not who we are, but it's attached to us in such a way that we simply can't get free from it. Just as a child born into slavery can't free himself or herself. Now, of course, Every human, picture diff, uh, every human picture fails at some point, and it might happen that a slave child might run away or somehow free himself or herself, but, but that's not the case with sin. It's unbreakably bonded to us. We cannot get free from it. Sin is a desire to do something that is different from what God wants us to do. Sin is also failing to do something that God wants us to do. Sometimes such desires reach fruition in our actions or, or when we don't do something that we know we should, but, but it doesn't have to be that way. Sin is simply the will to disobey God, to do something different than he has commanded. And we human beings are, are filled with that will. We're born at odds, at enmity even, it says, 
with God's will. We can sometimes fool other people into thinking that we're not so bad. Sometimes we can even fool ourselves, but if we're honest with ourselves, we can see what Paul is talking about. And to make sure that we can see this, he, he reminds us that the wages of sin is death. Death is the consequence of sin. Before Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, nothing was dying. There was no death as we know it. But now consider the percentage of the people in this room who are going to die should Jesus not come back first, of course. It's 100%. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. It's a law. It's at work in our members too. We're born enslaved to it, just as Paul talks about in our text. But God looked upon the sorry state of affairs and he resolved to do something about it himself. And he's not like us. His history is an eternity of perfect righteousness. He is perfect in his power. Mankind's sinful disregard for his will didn't put an end to his love. He's always loved us. And he made his decision to save us before time even began, before he had created anything. He knew that we would need saving, and he made arrangements for just that. Because he loved us. Adam and Eve were his children, and he loved them, and it broke his heart when they disobeyed him. It, it breaks his heart when we turn away from what he has said. Just think of that. For thousands of years now, billions of people, countless sins, and yet God's motivation has never changed toward us. He kept the resolution he made. He kept it by giving the law to Moses, the law that points out sin and just how inescapable it is. That's the purpose of God's law. And that law set apart also the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as the ones to whom God would send the deliverer, the redeemer, the savior. This law curbed evil doing among the Israelites, and it made order for them. The Old Testament is the history of God's law, the history of God preparing and caring for mankind. And mankind resolving to be better, but then falling back into sin again and again and again because of the weakness of the flesh. Yet God kept his resolution. Through all of time, he has kept his resolution by continually causing his good news to be proclaimed. Just as he does today, God proclaims his love to the world. He proclaims that he has found the perfect deliverer, his own son. He proclaims that this son of God, his son, became the son of man that he was born into the people of Israel, the son of Mary, 
in a particular place at a particular time in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. And God shows us through the Bible that this Jesus, whose name means God saves, he lived his perfect life under the law to redeem us who are under the law. The Bible shows us that Jesus died for us. He gave his life up as a substitute, as a sacrifice for us to take away the guilt and wash us clean in his own blood. God resolved to help, to help us by giving us what we needed, even though in our sinful, sinfulness we would have never seen the need. And even now, he stokes our faith by sending his Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we believe him and trust his motivation, even though his plan is so infinite in scale that our little minds can't understand it. It goes right over our heads most of the time. The fullness of time that Paul talks about was that night in Bethlehem. But we also live in the fullness of time right now. Today, right here, God has sent his spirit with this message of grace in Christ. Today, God's son is present the world over, hiding his divine majesty behind words, beneath bread and wine, in the waters of baptism, this is not just some dead story about something grand that happened 2,000 years ago. This is a real thing. It's right here and it's right now. God has come to meet you where you are, where you live under the law. And it's about him, not about us. It's about him lifting us up from our misery and our sinfulness, lifting us up with his strength so that we can bear the cross. It's about him taking every evil turn in your life, even the ones you might have made yourself, with your own sins. And he takes them and he turns them around in such a wonderful way that they work for our good and for the good of our fellow believers. Now that's, that's part of why it's right to say that we live by faith and not by sight. We can't understand this when something terrible happens. We can't process it with our little minds. We can't make intellectual sense of a loved one's death or of a life-changing injury. We can't process the turmoil of a broken home or a wayward child and just kind of flippantly say, well, that must be for my good. Hardly. We can't do that. Our broken lives are very real. It hurts. We grieve. And yet it's true that somehow God will mend us. We trust even though we can't see because we've heard God's angels singing those delightful words, glory to God in the highest, peace, goodwill toward men. We've seen his goodness looking, at, looking up at us from that quiet manger. We look at the cross where Jesus gave himself for us all and and we know by faith that God turned that terrible torture and that gruesome agony into salvation 
and deliverance for us. And all this, not because we decided something, but because God resolved to truly love us, even though we don't deserve it. You are his sons, Paul says. God figures you to be like his firstborn, like Jesus, worthy for his sake to inherit all things. That's why God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Abba just means Father in Aramaic. We are no longer slaves held by the law of sin. We've been purchased at a great price, it's true, purchased at the cost of God's own son, but not to be slaves. Slaves have a master. And apart from Christ, Satan and his lies and sin and every evil had mastered us. But now that Jesus has done his saving work under the law to redeem us, we're no longer slaves to sin. We can and we ought to repent of our sins, to turn away from them. And we look at those shackles that once held us and say, Lord, I want no more of that. Give me strength to serve you. So you're no longer a slave. You are God's child, freed from the bonds of sin, free to serve him as a child serves his good father. And you are not penniless and poor, but made rich. All things in heaven and on earth, every good and precious thing are your father's. And if they are his, then they are yours as well, according to his will. Maybe, maybe not yet, but in the Father's good time. So is it any wonder that God invites us to ask him for whatever is on our hearts, to share with him our concerns and our anxieties, to ask him for what we need? He wants to give you the best of everything that he has when it's right for you. Many resolve to serve the Lord this time of year. Many hear his good news and they walk away thinking, I, I want to keep this feeling. But then they quickly lose that resolve because that resolve is based on what they want. A good feeling, a warm fuzzy, maybe peace with Aunt Tilly who's been bugging you for so many years to go to church and so on. But we still have a sinful nature. And resolutions that rely on our strength, they're going to fail often. And every spiritual resolution that's founded on us, it will certainly fail. And that's why we're here today. Here and now in this hour and place where the word is taught, where the sacraments are administered, here in church, Sunday after Sunday, here is the fullness of time for you, the spiritual sustenance that you need. When God comes to you and he forgives all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that your history as a redeemed child of God and co-heir with Christ continues in your motivation to do good every day.
Don't come for two weeks and then spend the next 50 away from this. It is your Ava Father's gift to you. Come and receive his good gifts where he's promised to bring them to you. Come and receive his undeserved love, which he brings in word and sacrament for you here every week. Come and be refreshed, fellow redeemed. For, your son, for God's son has loved you and done this for you. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto everlasting life. Amen.